Today's scripture will be from Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. It says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir all of things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Theology is an interesting enterprise. As a field of study, tens of thousands of books have been written about really one book. And our understandings uh, are shaped by our thinking and our experience of these things. And one of the things theology spends time asking uh, questions about and trying to answer questions about is who God is, who Jesus is, who the Spirit is, what is the nature of God and these things. And today I don't have uh, either the um, time nor the inclination to do a full Christology for you. I think it would take a seminar on a graduate level that lasted a good year or so for us to really plumb the depths of that. But I've been inspired of late by a few things in the world around me. And I'm just going to share those and see if they resonate with you. How many of you drove this spring at all up over the pass to Hone Pass uh, to the Bakersfield side? Can I see your hands? What did you notice on the way? Flowers. What kind of flowers? Poppies, yellow ones, blue ones, these kind. I noticed carpets of lavender purple and yellow and orange going over the mountains and the gold of dead grass and the green of new grass and it was stunning. I understand that this has been one of the best years for desert flowers. The poppies have never bloomed like this in decades. It's all the timing of the water and the temperatures. And now today it's a little hard to sell because it's, what, 150 degrees out there. And so talking about the glory of nature, just I've sort of had the wind taken out of my sails a little bit. But just think back a few days to when this inspiration came, when it was May and it was 72 degrees on a hot day, 68 on a good day. And things were like they haven't been in a long time in the world around us. They are so beautiful sometimes and so devastatingly unpredictable at other times. We're dealing with this beauty and the weather while Myanmar has dealt with a crushing cyclone and China with a devastating earthquake and tens of thousands of lives have been lost and more will be lost. It just, it's hard for us as people informed of the world as we are to have some kind of unified view of how things ought to be. But I thought if we could just take a look at a couple of things, it might steer us towards something that helps. And that's just a little bit about who Jesus is in all of this. Because as I look at the beauty of the world around me, and it is pretty spectacular, I was home. Um, not long ago, 
it was winter. But the snows in the mountains were just amazingly gorgeous. Water running different places, green and foliage emerging even in winter. So there's much, much to note and much to be thankful for. Anybody done any hiking lately? It's pretty spectacular, the trails and the varieties and the things happening. Psalms tells us the passage you all know and you've all heard, but sometimes we don't think about it. The heavens declare what? You're very good. Psalm what? 19. Turn to Psalm 19. Jesus, when he was here, really quoted several things quite often. Can you imagine what they were? Name the top three things that Jesus quoted, probably. Psalms is certainly in the top three. Uh, The prophets? Yes, I would say Isaiah he quoted as much or more than anything. What else did he quote? He did quote the law. Moses, the law, and he quoted Proverbs quite a bit as well. You you see these things come up in Jesus' words and quotations. But here's one that uh, prefigures the time of Christ. It's a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. I tell you what, pathfinders went out with telescopes and star maps to... Uh, a distant point in the mountains there, not, not too far away, but far enough away to get away from the smog. And it was unbelievable to observe the numbers of stars in the sky. Hiddles had a telescope that was actually powerful enough to see the rings of Saturn. I'd never seen that before. It was amazing. And these heavens, these same heavens that we see are the heavens that the Bible writers talk about. They proclaim the work of whose hands? God's hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Are you listening? Night after night, they display knowledge. Now, we could go lots of places with that, and I think one of these Sabbaths, I'm going to take time to talk about intelligent design. But there's much to be said about that. Day after day, they pour forth speech, they give witness, they give testimony, and at night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. And what is the psalmist saying there? Even the heavens who declare the glory of God are in themselves transcending the languages of men. They're beyond what we can speak or hear because they are universally spoken and heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, the words to the ends of the earth. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth in his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. What would that tent be, do you think? You ever just glanced up at the sun? What surrounds the sun? No, isn't there like a radiance that you see? Yeah, there's a a sort of, I don't know what to call it, a shiny brilliance that surrounds the orb itself, right? 
And then he goes to the law, comparing it also to the, the perfection of nature. Now, this is two facets of knowing God. This is nature and this is revelation. The law is what God speaks or reveals to men that we might live according to his precepts but live well, live happy. David rejoices in the law. Paul has a different view. Paul understands and correctly that the law is that which condemns us and cannot save us. But David also rightly understands that the law is good and perfect, that there's nothing wrong with it, that it's part of the voice of God speaking. So you have this incredible testimony from nature itself and you have this word, this law that is spoken. Now, if you'll join me in Romans 1, Romans 1, Paul is beginning his treatise on grace and the law. And in fairness to the text, he's really driving at a conclusion, excuse me, which we will find in Romans 4 and 5, and we'll continue then to spin into other arguments right through Romans 11. So I don't want you to think I'm co-opting this text just for my purposes, but it does seem to work rather well here. Paul is contrasting those who are outside of Judaism with those inside, the Gentiles versus the Jews. He's contrasting sort of the natural state of, of humankind against those who have the law and concluding that all are sinful and that all benefit no one is righteous uh, Romans 3 and that finally even Abraham the Jew is justified by faith Romans 4 and that finally we are justified through faith in Christ Jesus so Jesus in this build up is the unifying theme if we can keep that in mind Romans 1.18 The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them because God made it plain to them. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you an interpretation of this passage that I hope is helpful. We usually read this and read it pretty quickly and we think the wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Oh yeah, okay, that's, that, that makes sense. People want to suppress the truth. But that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about people who live obliviously in the natural order of their own society. Now let me explain. If you live in a gang, for example, and that gang issues a kill order on another gang member, and you kill them, according to the rules of the gang, have you done a good thing or a bad thing? A good thing. Now, is that in harmony with the command of God? No, because the command of God says, thou shalt not commit murder. So immediately at odds is the law of God and the law of this society, the rule of this this gang. If you live in a culture that is desperately promiscuous, and you yourself participate in that culture, nobody will think twice. Who is going to paint you with a scarlet letter? Who is going to declare you immoral? Who is going to say that you're wrong? 
No, you'd just be celebrated as one of many doing the same thing. But that is not in keeping with the law of God. And Paul is going to argue that nature itself is perverted in these acts of wickedness. So, let me put it in simple terms. When Paul writes in Romans that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against the godliness and wickedness of men who suppress truth by their wickedness, wickedness becomes normative for us. That is to say, we live with such sin that that sin becomes normal living for us and no longer appears as sin. Do you understand? Since, and he says this, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Well, how can God have made this plain to everybody? He goes on in verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen. 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Wow. The heavens declare... They speak. Their knowledge is self-evident. From the created order of things, Paul argues, from what we can see of the beauty and complexity and the knowledge of what's made, there is spoken something true. Every child knows that God did this, that God is behind this, that God can be the one unlike any other. Verse 21, For all they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became more futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles. Isn't that what we tend to do in our lives? We sell out the real thing and substitute it with something more tangible. And do you see the flip on this? The real thing isn't the tangible thing. The real thing is what's evident. Therefore, God gave them over to the sinful desires in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Do you understand? Let Jesus Christ be praised. John chapter 1. A little bit of Christology here in John. Wonderful book that way. Something you're very familiar with, but I'll read it anyway. Is that all right with you? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. 
and that life was the light of men. The light that shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Do you hear Paul speaking in Romans 1? Do you hear the psalmist speaking in Psalm 19? The heavens declare the richness of who God is surrounds you. The beauty of what God has done speaks constantly. His testimony is everywhere we look. But we're so caught up in our own order, in our own creation, our own societies, our own substitutions, that we miss what's obvious and what's true and what should shape our thinking and our minds and our destinies. Paul makes a strong point. And Psalms, even though in poetry, speaks of something very powerful because it is the word of God revealed in nature and then John pulls the word of God as the one sent and the one revealed, the one who was with the Father from the beginning, the one by whom all things were created, the one identified as the creator God. So when the psalmist is singing praise to the creator God, who is he singing praises to? Jesus Christ. May Jesus Christ be praised. And Romans, when Paul is talking about what should be obvious even to those who don't have the revelation of Jesus Christ, who is being praised? Or who is being uh, not praised in this case? Whose name is being defiled? Jesus Christ. You see, there's this thing that happens. Verse 26, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not drink, think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They became filled with every kind of wickedness, evil and greed and depravity, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. They were gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil, creative in their evil, Paul says. They disobey their parents. They're senseless, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Does this sound like a society we might be living in today? You, you don't think so? No? Oh, you just seemed unsure about that. When we live in a world this way and we participate in a world this way, when we buy into these things, we lose track of the word that comes from the created order. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things but approve of those who practice them. Now, I, I strongly disapprove of the way Christianity has used passages like this to single out homosexuality. Strongly disapprove. It does violence to the text. 
and it doesn't do justice to an entire segment of the population. Because you see, if you don't fit that category, I'm pretty sure you fit one of the others. Test me in this. I know I do. And what that means is that we stand all condemned. And the interesting thing about Paul's argument in this particular case is that he claims it's an argument against nature, but if you look hard enough, you'll find homosexuality in nature. So that gives us something to work on theologically. Oop, did I just say that? We'll let that go, because it'll be the only thing you remember from today's sermon. Do you remember that one that you talked about? And this will be it. Okay. Well, I said it. I deserve it. That's the way it is. You, therefore, Romans 2, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for whatever you point you judge whatever point you judge the other, you're condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. And he goes on and on and on. And he says, what advantage is there in being a Jew? What value? Much in every way they've been entrusted with the words of God. So now we get to Revelation again. And finally, he points out that there is a righteousness from God apart from law that is found in Jesus Christ. Romans 3.22. This is the central Christian thesis Great theologians and preachers will spend Sunday after Sunday and Sabbath after uh, Sabbath explaining, revealing, putting forth the, the nuggets that they've mined from these passages, declaring the gospel to you May Jesus Christ be praised. There are other psalms that we could look at that pull these directions, the glory of God and nature. Let's take a look at Psalm 65. Nine to thirteen. You care for the land and water it, you enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain, for so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges, you soften it with showers and bless its crops. The crown you crown the year with your bounty, and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the desert overflow, and the hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks, and the valley are mantled. Valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and they sing. There's that personification again. The world and what it provides in the bounty, in the crops, in the fields, in the animals and herds, they provide and they, they shout for joy and sing in their place of provision and God's work in it. Psalm 96 and 97 I'll let you read more of those on your own, but they are powerful psalms of praise. Sing to the Lord a new song. You know this one. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing the Lord and praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations and his deeds among all the peoples. Well, 
if you get to the end of that, it says in verse 11, let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea resound, let all that is in it, let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. They will sing before the Lord for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his truth. We could look for metaphor here. Maybe trees stand for something. Maybe the nations, maybe the world. But what David is doing is saying again, look around you. Nature speaks. And it speaks of one who created and one who is himself the word and one who puts his own intelligence into nature's design and makes himself known that if you look, you can see. Psalm 97. The Lord reigns, let the earth itself be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. And it goes through lots of different measures Verse 11, light is shed upon the righteous and joy upon the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord and praise his holy name. Psalm 148. Are you keeping up or am I going too fast? Too fast or are you with me? Good, 148. I'm reading from the NIV. Let's, uh, in fact, I'm going to get a pew Bible and let's read this one together. This is really tremendous. Yeah, this is uh, King James, New King James, and I always use NIV from the pulpit, so I've got to get myself coordinated with your uh, pew Bible out there. Psalm 148. I'm reading in the New King James, and it's found on page 427 in your Red Bible. 427. Read with me. Uh, let's see. We're again, 148. Ready? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you stars of light. Praise him, you heavens of heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord for he commanded and they were created. He also established them forever and ever and made a decree which shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all the depths. Fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and flying fowl, kings of the earth and all people, princes and all judges of the earth, both young men and maidens, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His glory is above the earth and the heaven, and he has exalted the horn of his people, the praise of all his saints, of the children of Israel, a people near to him. Praise the Lord. Amen. He has exalted the horn of his people. He has elevated us, is what the psalmist is saying. He has raised us up. He has made us more than we were. 
This is what the psalmist says. And this is what Paul says. And this is what the author of Hebrews says. And this is what John says. Let us praise the one who made heavens and earth, the sea and all that in them is. Let us praise the one who speaks through these things, words that we might hear and understand. Let us praise the one who speaks his word of revelation that we might know the law and live by its precepts. Let us praise the one who is the word, the word that was made flesh, that word that dwelt among us, that word that was Jesus, who was and is and is to come. Let us praise this word who is our salvation. For by faith in Jesus Christ, by his grace we are saved. May Jesus Christ truly be praised.